Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. So you're out at the YMCA, and uh, your daughter has to go to the bathroom, and she walks in the shower room to use the restroom. And there is a biological man fully undressed. Right in front of your seven-year-old daughter. It's happening. Here in Springfield. Yeah. It's come, it's come to Springfield. And uh, I, I think that's wrong. And I think the church has a place to say that that's wrong. And um, whether you have a YMCA membership or not. I'm not here to tell you what to do with that. But if you think that, oh, and by the way, the, the policy is if your daughter is offended, she should leave. Yeah. That's the policy. That's the policy. So uh, if, if, if you think somebody ought to do something about that, that would be you. And so uh, do whatever you need to do, but in case you want the phone number, I happen to have it here. I've called twice. So you can get out your phone right now and make a YMCA contact in your phone. It won't bother me for you to get your phone out. But if you're not writing this number down, you're okay with what I just said. And if you don't want to do it, you're lethargic, you're part of the problem, and you ought to get your head screwed on straight. Because if this doesn't make you mad and infuriate you, then your heart is seared. You're troubled in your heart and your spirit. And you ought, really ought to have a uh, come to Jesus moment. There's no reason a grown man should undress in front of your seven-year-old daughter. If you think that's okay, then you should come see me after service and we'll have a heart-to-heart. If you think somebody ought to do something, well, I would feel really weird calling them. How, 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 how weird does the seven-year-old girl feel? And are you the adult in the room or not? So the number, I'm not asking you to call and be angry and one of those Christians, right? You simply say, I don't think that's right. I think you ought to, I think you ought to uh, change your policy. I think you ought to provide a, a safe place for those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little girls to go rather than trying to uh, tailor your policy to entertain the perverted uh, needs or desires of a few men who want to undress in front of women, little girls. So the phone number is 217. And this, hey, Joey, make sure this gets on television too, would you please? 217-679-1625. I'll say it again. 217-679-1625. All you do is call, talk to the person at the counter, ask for the manager, I've done both, and say, listen, this is what I hear. And they'll say, yes. And then you voice your opinion, politely, kindly, and say, listen, that shouldn't be happening in our town, and I'm sure there'll be some people that do something a little more than call, Um, but uh, that's a good first step for anybody that thinks something ought to be done. And so, welcome to Destiny Church, where we're not afraid to say the truth, and speak the truth, and stand up for children. It would be better for you that a millstone 
be tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea, then you harm a little child. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody, anybody want to say anything about that? Besides my wife? Uh, and my daughter? <laughs> you got something to say? I just got something to say. You want to say something? You can. A mom of four daughters. Well, babe. Hey, so um, Ryan and I just spent the past couple of days in Nashville at a pastor's conference. And um, it's literally, the whole thing was like, is the church going to rise up? Is the church going to rise up? Because we've gotten to this place because we've been quiet. There's not enough people. And I know that you guys... If, if you get offended by that, you're probably not in this seat because he does this regularly. Um, but if this rubs you the wrong way, then really check your heart. Because we're called to be the truth. We're called to bring that. They don't know the truth, right? And we're now to the point, whether it's with Target, whether it's with whatever, there's enough people who aren't even Christians, but they're just starting to get uncomfortable. And that's what's making the difference. Why don't we draw a line last year? You know, it's little, 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 and now it's blown up in our face, and we're like, what is happening? It's the time. That's unacceptable. Pay, watch where you put your money. Watch where you put your time. I just, I think that is, I can't, I just think it's ridiculous, and it's unacceptable, and if that bothers you and you aren't doing something about it, literally shame on you. <laughs> That's insane. And so protect the kids. If you don't have any kids, I just, I don't know. I probably should have had my thoughts put out really well. But this is the job of the church. If we don't do it, how dare we say, why is that happening? You, because of you, because you aren't stepping up. If they don't know truth and they don't know the capital T truth, then what are we doing? And so stand up, be a voice, live an uncomfortable life, live a well-seasoned, mm -hmm. come on, mm -hmm. get uncomfortable call. Hey, well, what are they going to, I don't care. If, I, don't, I just, anyway, no, no mom, we can't, we got to let him preach. No, but for real, I got to walk her, over here. She can say something. Okay. She can say something. You can tell no to your mother, but I can't say no to my wife. Okay. So um, first of all, I'm glad I have a husband with a backbone because I wouldn't want to be married to a coward. And um, we've counted the cost. Okay, so let me give you a little example. We're in Mexico. A couple of you personally, I told this. But anyway, we're in Mexico having a great time at the pool. And uh, he's like, you know what happened in Mexico? He's kind of incapacitated. He's laying on a lounge. Anyway. And anyway, so then... <laughs> Wait, I was incapacitated in Mexico, laying on a lounge, not because of anything. We had visited the ER. He had a little physical issue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so next to me is my sister-in-law, and she stands for righteousness. And facing us is my brother, who stands for righteousness, and we're all talking. And out of the corner of my eye, I see these two couples misbehaving. I mean, like, misbehaving. Crossing the line. And so my sister-in-law is here, and she leans over to me. She goes, you see that? I said, oh, I'm about to go over there. <laughs> a minute later, they're doing something else. My sister-in-law goes, did you? And I'm already out of the chair. <laughs> I'll be quick. I'll be quick. You finish your 
Okay, so okay, then you make your short story short. I'll keep it super short. And you short. keep it super short. Okay, so I go over to these two couples, which have had too much to drink and very much crossed the line of so, behavior. I mean, crossed the line. So I went up to them and I said, maybe you could bring it down a notch. And this guy starts to get up and he goes, maybe you can mind your own business. I said, look, take it somewhere else. But there's children out here. From me to you, there's children in the swimming pool. He goes, move the kids. And he's getting up in my face. I said, they're not mine. But I can't move them. I want you to bring it down. And he goes, I'm in Mexico. And I said, so am I. And this is a family resort. And so his girlfriend or whoever kind of pushes him down and says, sit down. Just back it off. So I walk away. And I'm like... Because if he, he was like, if he hits me, I don't care. But it's like, if those are my grandkids or any of those other kids, so help me. And the little pool boy came over. He goes, thank you. I've said something to them once. And Eric's like, what are you doing? I said, I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> and my brother looks at me. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, if Eric and I went over there, we probably would have gotten in a fight. I said, right. What's he going to do, punch grandma? Yeah. Okay. okay. Very last thing. This is actually what I should have said the first time, but we'll give it another go. So we were in Nashville this week, and Riley Craig, do you know that name? So the swimmer, you should know that name. If you don't know that name, Riley Craig. Riley Craig, the swimmer. Okay, got to meet her this weekend, and um, she, she lost, she didn't get to win, something she's worked her whole entire life for, to a biological man who decided in the fourth year of college he wanted to swim as a woman. We could go down that hole. But she just said, I was in the locker room, which is why I wanted to bring this up. She goes, it's not that they literally didn't give me the trophy, even though we, they gave it to him because they said it's a better photo op. She goes, when I've worked my whole entire life for this moment, they give it to him. She goes, but when I'm in the dressing room with all these women and he completely undresses and it takes me 15 minutes to put on my swimming suit while a biological six foot four man is undressing in front of me, that's a problem. And she's now getting attacked. She was held hostage a week or so ago by, and then the college, what did the college do to send out to their students? They said, good job. They did not condemn their students. They did not condemn their students for coming in, for attacking her and holding her hostage. They said, way to go for doing that to somebody who doesn't like us, what we are, who we are. So if you think that you can be quiet on this, yeah, so it's happening. I was not going to say that. I'm done now. You can go. Sorry. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. But the point of the matter is it's happening right here at the YMCA in Springfield and you have an opportunity to voice your, you have a, voice your opinion. So there you go. Okay, praise the Lord. I love a good party. Where's the chicken? I, it's a chicken. <laughs> we went to a party last night. Uh, a friend of mine, his name is Fernando. And uh, he retired from uh, teaching Spanish. And he uh, had a great party. Arrived, there was uh, meat on the grill as we arrived, and a table full of food, a ice chest full of drinks, Cornhole out back, lots of good people, lots of laughter. I mean, who doesn't like a good party? Of course, we're going to have the church picnic next week, so 
That should be fine. Cheryl and I throw lots of parties. We're having a Memorial Day party tomorrow for the staff and their family. But have you, have you, ever, have you ever thrown a party and people stay too long? You try the yawn, you try the, you try all of that, and they just continue to yak, 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 and they don't care. Food's run out, you know. Uh, the drinks run out. They just overstay their welcome. If you want to feel old today, there's a, a song entitled "Don't Stop the Party" by Pitbull. I don't know if you know that song or not. Uh, maybe my Mexico pool party side, uh, pool party days. Uh, I hear that song all the time. The, the Hispanics love Pitbull, and uh, it's called "Don't Stop the Party." Uh, that song came out over ten years ago. If that makes you feel old, um, it does me. So we like to throw parties. I like going to parties. Uh, I. I I've thrown, I don't know how many parties, but the biggest party that I've ever thrown, and the biggest party that you will ever throw, probably, is the reception for your child's wedding. Yeah? Uh, that's the biggest party we ever threw was for you, Hannah. It cost me so much money. <laughs> it was out the Crown Plaza. How many years ago? Over 10. You're not gonna nail that down? It is 10 years this year? 10 years. 10 years ago. Um, I mean, the table arrangements and the DJ and the photographer and the food and the drinks and the, whew, the ran, I don't know what time it started, maybe six o'clock, went to about midnight and six hours of partying. But uh, yeah, that was a big deal. One evening, a few hours. Back in Bible times, parties would go for days. Yeah? That'd be all right. Party for days. Like, what do you do? You just, just party all the time. And uh, wedding parties in particular. So I want to take you uh, blow by blow uh, through a New Testament party in John chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, you can. We'll put it on the screen so you can follow along. Just a few verses here. Uh, in a little town called Cana. On the third day of the wedding, on the third day, on the third day of the party, we've been at this for three full days. Three days of partying. On the third day of the wedding, uh, it took place in Cana in Galilee. Now, this is often noted as Jesus' very first miracle. And ge geographically, it's interesting to note. Go ahead and put up the map. You may not be able to see that very clearly, but you'll see the Sea of Galilee at the top of that map. That's that little circle. Well, of course, Jesus did, was known as a Galilean. His parents were from, or his mother and his, uh, not his bio dad, uh, but his, uh, his, his dad, not his father. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, that from Nazareth, from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene, but he was born where? A little town of? Bethlehem. So Bethlehem's all the way at the bottom underneath Jerusalem. So at the top, this is the Galilean region, and that's the Sea of Galilee. And the reason I put those two arrows there is to show you the distance between his hometown of Nazareth and where this miracle took place because it was his first miracle. It was only three and a half miles from where he grew up in Nazareth, just three and a half miles. So at, at uh, 
a three and a half mile, that's a pretty good walking pace. It'd take you about an hour to get there, to walk from Nazareth to Cana. And it was the third day of the party, and Jesus' mother was there, verse number two. And Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding party. So check this out. That means when Jesus showed up, you had 13 more mouths to feed, right? That's no small feat. And they were thirsty, having just walked all the way from Nazareth to get to the party. Of course, they'd been there for a while, too, I would think. Jesus had been partying for three days. I don't know if that fits into your theology at all. But Jesus had been partying for three days with his disciples. And verse 3, when the wine was gone, uh uh-oh, Jesus said to him, to Jesus, hey, they don't have any more wine. Now, how embarrassing would that be as the host? Right? I mean, a wine is, is, is celebratory. I mean, that's what you drink. I mean, there's, we're not having iced tea and slushies, right? We'd, our choices are very limited. So what you're drinking, you're drinking questionable water or something that's better for you. I mean, as far as antioxidants and, and has something of value to it and will help purify the water is wine. So there's a, there's a major social faux pas that's happening right now after three days at the wedding. And we need to keep the party going because everybody's still there. Nobody has a car. <laughs> Nobody just head off to Benny's. I'll be back in 20 minutes. We'll have a couple boxes of wine ready for you. That's not how it worked. They had run out. Just run out. And they needed a lot because there were still a lot of guests there. Imagine. So verse 4, dear woman, Jesus says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. This is, this is recorded as his first miracle. But he's saying, listen, I am, I'm, this is not, I'm not ready to come out and tell everybody what's happening quite yet. And so he does this in relative secrecy, not a public presentation. His mom, Mary, got a lover, highly favored woman, Uh, In verse 5, his mother said to the servants, which is probably the best piece of advice Mary ever gives in the entire Bible, which is just do what he says, just do what he says. Right? Good advice, right? Hello? Do what he says. Mary knew the key. She'd lived with him for 30 years. You know what the key is? Just do what he says. Just do what he says. And she turned and walked away. She didn't demand so you gotta do something, just do whatever he says, and walked away. She didn't force his hand. She simply made a faith statement and walked away. So verse number six, nearby stood six stone water jars. I have a photograph from his hometown of ministry in Capernaum, or Capernaum. Those are, st- those are stone water jars that if you're going with me to Israel, Cheryl and I to Israel next year, you'll see these, these very jars. And I don't believe those would hold 30 gallons. Those would probably hold more like maybe 20 gallons or so. Can you, but you can imagine the size of these stone vessels that are at this house that have, have continually have water put in them for ritualistic ceremonial cleaning. We don't go to inside to wash our hands with soap and water before the party. We have these six stone earthen vessels outside where you get to wash up before the party gets started. And that's what we have here at the synagogue. Each of them, six of them, say six, six. 
six of them holding 30 gallons. So it's, it, it's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not rocket surgery. It goes like this. Stick six stone jars and 30 gallons is how many gallons? Say 180 gallons. 180 gallons of vino, wine. 130 gallons at eight pounds a gallon, 240 pounds, stone jars, who knows how much it weighed, but I did the math as well. If, if, you, if you're having a hard time with uh, 180 gallons, envision this. 681 liters. That would be more than would fill this platform I'm standing on probably. Or half of that, 342 liters of Coke. But it's all wine. That's a lot of wine. That's what was made. So here's how it went down. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them, I love that, to the brim. We're going to make some application here in just a few minutes. But when Jesus asks you to do something and you do it half-baked, you're cutting off your own nose. They could, if, they, if they filled them half full, how much wine do you think Jesus would have created? Half. If you give him everything you got, you get the full dose of the Holy Ghost under the spout where the glory comes out. That's where you got to be. So we got 180 gallons, 681 liters. Fill them to the brim. It's not tap water. I don't know where they got the water. They're not near uh, the Sea of Galilee, but they did manage to fill them, 180, all the way to the top. They did their part, obedience. Verse eight, then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the wedding coordinator. So we got, we're not taking it to mom and dad. We're not taking it to uh, the bride and groom yet. None of that's happening. Why? It's because, what's that, what's that guy's name and father of the bride? The little Franck. They take it to Franck. You ever seen father of the bride? Yeah, they, they, take, they take the wine to Franck. And Franck goes, this is amazing wine. That's what happened. Now, when is a question. When did it actually change from water to wine? We don't know. These are arguments from silence. I'm going to speculate. I think the servants filled the water jugs to the top. 30 gallons each, 680 gallons, uh, liters of water, and their job was done, right? They're not standing around. They're, they're done. But then he says, scoop some of that out and take it to Franck. And so they scoop it out. Was it, was it wine when they, was it wine already? Or I, I, my, my, my opinion is, as they went, as they went, if you know anything about the miracles of Jesus, you're going to see that it takes taking those first steps of faith without seeing the result that will bring a miracle to you. And so they took it out and on they go. Verse 9. And so the master of the banquet, the wedding coordinator, tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He didn't realize where it had come from. Why? Because this isn't Jesus' time yet. He's not out there saying, hey, look what I did. Hey, everybody, be quiet. Let me tell you what I did. No, he's no, just fill the water jars. Okay, guys, take it over there. And that was done. He's done. Backs out of the situation. So uh, verse 9, tasted the water that had been turned to wine, and he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn, they knew. I like the fact 
that the people that Jesus decided to let in on this whole thing were the little people, the servants of the party. And incidentally, you say, well, you know, they were, they were obviously uh, not wealthy enough to have a party of this size. Well, wait a second. First of all, they had a house big enough to house all these people and to sleep them over. They had servants and they had had enough wine to keep them all going for three days already. So this is just not two peasants marrying off their daughter. We're talking a good sized wedding receptions happening right now. Jesus revealed himself to the servants, not those people. Not the well-to-do, well-heeled. And so, reading on, then he called the bridegroom aside. And he said, hey, understand, the, the, the wedding coordinator is taking the wine to the bridegroom now and saying, hey, guys, everybody brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best best, best, not better, best to last. And if, if you're a thinking person, you, you understand. Here's, here's a guest with all you people, and I'm, we're serving wine, and so after three days, uh, we've, the good stuff has run out, and so the crowd's fairly liquored up, and their taste buds are somewhat numb, and so that's when they generally bring out Boone's Farm. I don't know where that came from. 1979, maybe, but way back in here. Way back in here. We brought back some Boone's Farm. And that's how it worked. Because you want to impress your guests right off the bat with the good stuff, right? And then bring the, the more questionable stuff out later. But, but the bridegroom's... And, and obviously we're not talking, this guy knew it was better. So, he, I mean, he's not, he, he, he understands. And what he made was better. Nope, what he made was best. And it was brand spanking new. I mean, it couldn't be any fresher than that. I mean, you talk about fresh wine, right? You ever go to a place where, uh, it, and I, I'm not a wine drinker, but they, they bring out the wines. Would you? No, it's okay. But if, if you ever read down a wine list, you know, the 19, 1942, the 1963, the 19, whatever, these, these older wines, the older wine, the aged wine, the, not, not the stuff, you know, that comes out of the box that you got from Shop and Save, but the good stuff, right? You all seem very uncomfortable when you're talking about wine. Are you, are, are you okay? Some of you feel very uncomfortable about that. Don't be. So Jesus made wine. Well, it wasn't alcoholic. Well, then I don't think any of this applies because uh, well, I won't get into it. But understand, I believe it was real wine. Jesus made real wine. So, and I don't have a problem with that. So, uh, where was I going? Where was I going with that? Miles, where was I talking about? Oh, aged wine. Thank you. Who said aged wine? Who said, thank you for paying attention. Aged wine, the older the wine, good stuff. It's good. It's, it's been around. It's more rare. It's been, it's been flavored and all of that kind of stuff. So check this out. But Jesus makes new wine, but the new wine is actually the best. It doesn't make sense. According to Luke chapter 5, verse 39, and so, and no one drinking old wine wants new. Why? For he says the old is better. So it's understood that the older wine is the better wine. Nobody really is caring for the new wine. 
You need to remember that new wine needs new wineskins. And so you have to, if you want this type of miracle in your life, you've got to say, God, Lord, give me the new wine. Do something new in my life. But if you haven't prepared yourself, if you're not ready to receive what he's given, oh God, send me to the nations, but you haven't haven't got your passport? You understand what I'm talking about? Having done all to stand, then stand therefore. There's a lot of people going, I'm standing on the promises of God, but haven't done the three other things that he asked you to do. You're looking for a new word from the Lord, but you haven't done the last four words that he told you. Lord, I want the new wine. Do something fresh in my life. But you, but you won't even... Fill in the blank. So how do you create a new wineskin? Well, you start with a personal relationship. You're here today, you don't even know who Jesus is. Well, I know of Jesus, just so well, so does the devil. Right? But do you have him living in your heart? We have that personal relationship. That's, that's how you all first got your wineskin. If you're born again, you love Jesus, what happened? You had to get a new wineskin because what he was trying to pour in did not work with the old you. Hello? Yes. Amen? Amen? It didn't work. So you had to have some personal modifications in your relationships. And you need to embrace all that Jesus has for you. Be open to his teaching. Here's a big one. You want a new wineskin? Practice humility. Because you're not nearly as important as you think you are. And you're not nearly as smart as you. I'm talking to myself. You're not nearly as smart as you think you are. Right? So listen. God has a new thing for you. And he has a new thing for me. He has a new thing for this church. He has a new thing for this community. But the problem is if you don't have a, if you don't have a receptacle, if you don't have a repository for what he wants to deposit, it's just all going to burst and run out on the ground. So, verse 11, we'll wrap it up here. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee. And thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. The word sign is really important there because it emphasizes the significance of the action rather than the action itself. Aha, a miracle is a thing. Look at the miracle. A sign says, I'm pointing to something else, something bigger than me, right? So there's a sign. He performs this sign saying, hey, this is a sign of what's, about going, to, what's going to be happening in my ministry as I come forth. Jesus' first miracle performed where? At a wedding. The very institution that was established to reflect how heaven loves earth. Well, wives should submit to their husbands. Well, how about husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church? Husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church. This is a command to us because earthly marriage is a sign of how it works in heaven. That the bridegroom laid down his life for his bride. I would lay down my life for my wife. The very first miracle he performed, he performed at an institution that reflects how the father loves you and me. We're the bride. So let's drill down. How's it happened for you and me? Here's the application, just a couple minutes. Two words only, write these down. Number one, believe. Believe. This is the first thing you have to do. 
Sometimes in life, sometimes in life, most of the time, nearly all the time, all you have to offer him is the earthen vessel of your life with a little bit of water in it. I mean, what are we? We're like 75% water anyway. You are an earthen vessel filled with water. That's all you have. But that's what he can use. You have to believe that. If, you have, if I just get a better job, if I just did that, and I get it funny, then he can use me. No, no, no. Just believe that you are enough just the way you are. You're just a hunk of stone. You're an earthen vessel, by the way, created by him, filled with water. In fact, the vessels that they offered probably didn't have that much water in it. In fact, the vessels they had maybe had a little bit of water left in the bottom from three days of people washing themselves or whatever water was in there was dirty from all the people washing their hands. What is in your vessel is not as important as you presenting your vessel to him. You can't clean yourself up first. And you certainly can't fill yourself up first. You take the vessel that you, and by the way, I had you repeat the number on purpose. How many vessels were there? And what's the number of man? In the Bible, the number of man is what? Six. six. The number of the Antichrist is the trinity of six. Six, six, six. Man was created on the, say, sixth day. Now you know, the number of man in the Bible is six. There were six vessels there. There were six jars there, six earthen vessels. Fill them up. Fill them up with what? How about this? Fill them up with water. What is the water? Water is the word of God. You want to fill yourself up with something? Fill yourself up with the word of God. Well, how do I do that? You listen to it. Praise and worship. Bible on your phone. You read the Bible. You get yourself filled up because the stuff that you put in your head is the stuff that's going to come out of your heart. What's in your earthen vessel? So you believe that Jesus can make something beautiful out of your earthen vessel. And the other thing is just as simple, and that is to obey. And this is where it gets sticky, because we can believe all day long, but until you get up off the couch and begin to do what he asks you to do, it's never going to come to pass. You might believe that if you went fishing this afternoon, you'd catch all kinds of fish. Well, goody two-shoes, wonderful for you. Great, you believe that all day long. You really believe it if you say, I'm gonna put some shoe leather on my faith, I'm gonna walk it out, I'm gonna do what it takes to get to the lake and, and obey and do. When Jesus said, hey, throw your net to this side, they said, nah, I don't really feel like it. If Jesus really was God, he'd have those fish jump in the boat for us. Let me tell you, I'm talking about the ingredients for you to have a new wine miracle at this altar this morning. In just a minute, you'll have an opportunity to come forward and say, you know what? I don't have anything to offer. Congratulations, join the rest of us. You have an earthen vessel that's full of some dirty water. But if you'll simply believe and then obey, guess what'll happen? He'll deposit some new wine in your life. New wine. So the simple instruction is the plot line of every miracle. And the simple instruction is obedience. One of the reasons I don't like watching like mindless television is because after about 10 minutes, you know the plot line, particularly if it's some lifetime Hallmark throw-up movie. You know what I'm talking about? Just 
sappy. The woman whose husband either died or they divorced has a little boy. He likes to play baseball, but the coach, he's really handsome and he really likes her. And so they have a little car wreck, a little fender bender, and they meet each other in the parking lot. And then, I don't know, I'm just making this up on the fly. Have you seen that movie? Sure you have. You saw that movie. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The plot line of every miracle is this. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. Give me a method. Give me a methodology. Give me a one. Give me the 12 steps. You don't need two. How about this? Just trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Man, that's an old song. Just believe. Just believe and obey. Just do what he tells you to do. Fill the pot. Okay. A little bit. No. How about, how, about, how about the servant that needed to thrash the floor, needed to thrash the ground with, with the arrows? He just went out and just kind of tapped, just yeah. tapped the ground. I'm talking about be involved. I did this to you a couple weeks ago, and hopefully some of you weren't here, but you can get part of it now. Everybody raise your hand. Now raise a little bit higher. Oh, see, you didn't raise it all the way the first time. That's how God deals with us. He says, raise your hand. You're Arnold Horshack. Look it up. So you obey. Our simple instructions as believers are to do what? Serve others, worship, give, pray, evangelize. Those are things, simple instructions he's told us that you should be doing. And if you're not doing that, if you're not obeying in that regard, you're not a candidate for new wine in your life. I'm just making it as simple as I can. If you come to church and you want the benefit of loving God, then obey him because it's in obedience that the miracle happens. Now there are beyond the basics, which, you know, giving and worshiping and all the things that God says that we should be doing, evangelizing, sharing our faith, and so on and so forth. Perhaps, most likely, there is a thing or two. Now I'm gonna get serious. There's a thing or two that God has asked you to do that you're putting off, that you put off. Why? I don't know why. The, 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 the possibilities for excuses are endless. I'm too busy. That's a big one. You know what too busy is? Can I just be honest with you? You know what too busy is? Too busy. When you say I'm too busy, and I, I, I do this to myself, I say this about myself, and I try not to ever use the excuse I'm too busy, because the excuse of too busy, listen, 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 the, the excuse of too busy means it's not important. Because if it was important, you would do it. In, too busy means it's not, it's not important enough for me to change my other seven things to do that. So busy, I'm too busy is a lie that you use when you're actually lazy. Or you don't want to be honest. Now, I love our staff. Our staff is brutally honest with each other, right? So we call each other out on stuff. And listen, if you don't want to do that, don't do that. But just don't tell me you're going to do it and not do it. And don't say you're too busy. And this, and this is where good, healthy boundaries come into play. You ask me to do something. Hey, Eric, can you do this? I'm not going to say I'm too busy. I'm going to say I have other things. I'm not going to be able to do that. Well, what are they? Well, you shouldn't ask. 
But you know, we're compelled to as Americans, aren't we? I can't because um, my mom just died. My cousin just had a baby. My, I mean, you make up a list of excuses. Now you're lying. Now you're compounding the matter. You don't owe an excuse when somebody says, hey, can you? And you say, listen, I'm just not going to be able to do that. I have other responsibilities. I have other things I have to do. I'm not going to be fine. Well, then you don't come. Oh, my. listen, I've done this for 33 years. I've been asked to do a lot of things I don't want to do. And I've just drawn, I drew the line many years ago. So listen, I'm just not going to be able to do that. I just can't because I have other things. I'm not going to say I'm busy to sound important. Like I have so many things to do. Right? So why is it that you're not doing what God told you to do? What are you talking about? Well, he told some of you to go back to school. He told some of you to start a business. He told some of you to get off the bump on the log and get about the Lord. He told some of you to start a ministry. He told some of you to, to begin to teach. He told some of you to start rescuing orphans. He told some of you to start taking care of widows. He told some of you, and if not, I'm, I, if you don't have something that he's told you to do, what's up with that? You should have something. You should have several things he's told you to do. And you should be about doing those things. Eric, would you please move on to the next point? Not quite yet. <laughs> Not quite yet. Because we need to drill down on this. We need to drill down hard on this. Oh, I believe he's going to bless me and I'm going to... But you won't do what he's asked you to do. Well, that's only half the equation, ladies and gentlemen. There's a missing element in that, and that's your obedience. Just to simply fill the water pot to the brim. Well, it doesn't seem very significant. I didn't ask you, the Lord says, I didn't ask you if you thought it was obedient. Could, could not Jesus, listen to me, could not Jesus have just miraculously had wine appear in those vats? Yes, but he's looking for people a person who will simply do what he's asked them to do. He doesn't, when God asks you to do something so that something else can be accomplished, it's not that the accomplishment is what he is after because he could certainly have wine appear in those vats. What he's looking for is to reveal himself to his servant. That's what he wants to do. That's what it's always been about revealing himself to his servants. So what does he ask you to do? I don't know. Get your finances together. Work on your marriage. I don't know. It's something. Get your health together. Work on your family. He's told you to take a stand for righteousness someplace and you've left that up to somebody else to do. Gosh, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but I'm trying to help you understand. You can have your cake and eat it too, but you have to bake it. You have to be obedient to put the ingredients in. I want new wine. Well, don't we all? I want the new wine of heaven. But if you're not prepared by having gotten a new wineskin ready, even if he does bless you like you're asking to be blessed, what's going to happen? You got holes. It'll just burst the whole thing. It'll burst the whole thing. I mean, you see that in uh, lottery winners, don't you? If you've got a drunk, pervert, 
money spending crazy person who strikes it big in the lottery and wins $100 million. Now you have a millionaire who's a drunk, dirty, crazy, blah, 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 blah. Why? Because there's not a new wineskin to hold that. So it just all bursts and falls out. Well, that relationship fell apart. I, my girlfriend, she left me. My boyfriend, he left me. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to go find another girlfriend or a boyfriend because I'm so needy. How about you work on yourself? How about you work on the wineskin of your life? Get yourself together. Be the man that God wants you to be, and then he'll bring the woman that he wants to be with you. Or be the woman that God wants you to be, and then just trust that God's going to bring a man to you rather than going out fishing without a boat. In Luke chapter five, we'll finish with this. And then we're gonna have an opportunity to come forward. Worship team, would you come back for a minute, please? He told this parable, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does on the new garment, the patch will burst. We know the whole story. I won't, for, for time's sake, I won't, I won't read the whole thing. There's just a moment here where I wanna ask, has the party of your life run out of wine? Has the guest of depression drank all your joy? Has the guest of anger drank all your joy? Wine in the New Testament has many types, symbols to it. Joy is one of them. Your life's run out of wine. The guest of addiction drank all your wine, drank all your joy. The guest of greed, the guest of sexual impurity, they drank all your wine. And now you're just this stone earthen vessel with a little bit of dirty water. They drank it all and you're left with nothing, emptiness. How do you fix it? Well, you believe and you obey. You believe and you obey. That's what we just talked about for the last 10 minutes. Fill your life with the water of his word. That brings abundance into your life. And, I, and the Lord just gave me this this morning, and I, and I, and I, and I really want you to have a, have a thought process with this on me. So I'm fine. How are you doing today? Fine. Great. What you have is regular wine. And your party, your life seems to be going along just fine because you got plenty of wine. I'm asking you today to do a little bit of soul searching and ask yourself, is that self-produced regular wine and are you willing to dump out even what little wine that you might have in order to have new wine put in? The best wine, by the way. The best wine. I have found in my life that the things that I hold tightly keep me from picking other things up. If I'm hanging on to those things so tightly that I can't pick something else up, I'm missing out on what God has for me. And you're missing out on what God has for you. I'm not asking you to throw it down. I'm asking you to just simply carry everything in your life like this. Your house, your car, your instruments, your computers, your books, your collectibles, your knickknacks, all the little things in your life that you just think are so, listen, hold them all like this because God may require some of them from you. <laughs> the regular wine ran out, and I love the fact that Jesus didn't nearly provide an adequate solution. 
he produced an abundance of the finest. Last thing, your scarcity does not scare Jesus. I don't have, I don't have anything. The, the party of my life has run dry. I have no joy. Well, you can have joy again. And the fact that you don't have any joy and that you're all dead and dry on the inside and you're, and you're just kind of like going through the motions and you're here at church and everything's kind of like, ugh, it's just kind of not what it used to be. Congratulations. You know what that makes you? A prime candidate for new wine. That's what that makes you. If you came in all proud as a publican beating your chest, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Ha, ha, ha. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, you got an issue with what? Pride. How about some humility that says, you know what? Even on my best day, I'm not worthy, but I'm going to take the stone vessel of my life as nasty as the water is that has been putrefied all week long in my life, and I'm going to present it to God this coming Sunday morning. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. I'm going to trade in the ashes of my life for a garment of praise. That's how it works, and it's available for you. Stand up with me, please. Prayer teams, would you come down? And if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to ask that you come down too. If you're ready for some new wine in your life, come on down. Because Jesus can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If the altar's where you meet us, take me there. Come on down. That person next to you, they'll move. Say, excuse me, I'm just going to go down. I'm going to get some new wine this morning. I'm going to be filled up this morning. Don't you think it's amazing that, at, that when Jesus stood up and he talked about a parable, he said the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. And not just a couple years earlier, he was at a wedding banquet. of God in the original language says this the kingdom of God is like a party it's like a celebration don't stop the party remember the joy and the zeal you had when you first got saved you can have it again step on out come on down have these folks lay hand on you so I just need some new wine today vintage faith vintage faith the vintage of heaven. The vats of heaven are open. If you want more of the Lord, this is your opportunity. Step out. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.